0: Something is wrong. Something is wrong with me! Lizzie, I know that's why we need to get you help! No, but I'm dying! Don't you understand? No, I, I don't I, understand! But no, I, I am! Know. I'm dying! I'm dying! It's on inside. So don't try and understand.
1: Why are you trying so hard to get ruin I my know. life? You'll thank me later. For what? Leaving Dad? I'm trying to give you every opportunity that I can. For what? So I can become a strong, independent woman like you?
0: Such slightest and I know who I am.
1: Look at me. I'm about to have our baby. Why is that not enough for you?
0: Of course it's enough. I'm not going anywhere. I'm here with you.
1: I don't want to be alone with you. See,
0: this is why it scares me, is because you don't take it seriously. I take it seriously. I think it's pretty, like... You have a camera in my face, in the bathroom. Oh, yeah, just, you look beautiful in the morning, by the way. Maybe we shouldn't have the camera. Uh, hello? Words that define, and they scream it out loud.
1: Welcome to series three of the Projections Podcast. Horror films affect us all in different ways, but fear is a universal and psychologically fascinating emotion. This season, we're talking about women in horror, dividing our exploration into themes including demons, pregnancy, the detective, the extreme, perfection, and love. We'll be discussing the portrayal of female subjectivity in horror, as well as the impact that watching them can have on us as women. Don't be scared, you're safe with us. Thank you, Sarah. We'll be in touch. Hello, Mary. Hi, Sarah. How are you? I'm good. You? Well, thank you. Good. Okay, so I'm really excited about this week's topic. Me too. I'm going to be discussing or starting off discussing perfection. Perfection. Yes. Into amazing films. Mm -hmm. Um, We will start off with Starry Eyes, which I'm so excited to finally talk about. Me too. Mm -hmm. Me too. It's one of my favourite films. Me too. Far none. Then also The Perfection, which was on Netflix this year. Yeah. And I think had a really mixed reaction, so it'll be really exciting to talk about it. Um, So we... I feel like we... Have kind of been speaking about this theme for a long time. Mm. I think it's something we're both really interested in, and it keeps coming up even when we don't intend it to. Because I think you know, Black Swan's your favorite film of all time, all time. of all time, <laughs> and that is one we actually originally had on the list. But we're doing Mother this season, so we thought it would just be like we're showing two favor Tarantino, yeah. <laughs> um so, uh, but that's definitely like, it's definitely a film with a very similar theme. And then Cam, whose directors we interviewed, mm-hmm. cited Black Swan as an, as an influence and definitely made a film about a woman who is a perfectionist, a woman who, for whom, you know, who wants to keep getting better and better. Yeah. Um, and then I think in a way, The Love Witch a little bit, Absolutely. if not in exact sort of theme or storyline, then definitely in the way that it was created by like an auteur, by yeah. a perfectionist. So I think we just kinda of keep coming back to this idea of of these like perfect women, of these yeah. women that are like being are being pushed to the extreme and basically and are like almost burnt out in their or of uh, suffering trauma in their attempts to get to, to reach perfection, to oh gosh, yeah. to get where
0: they're going. Perfectly said, and I would add to that only that it is this sort of like a nagging drive that mm. keeps coming back and keeps propelling them, and they can't quite explain what it is, they can't quite pin it down, but it seems like in these two films, uh, Starry Eyes and the Perfection, that specific drive seems to be really at the centre stage of the narrative mm-hmm. in these stories, so, so yeah.
1: yeah. Mm-hmm. and maybe we have it too a little bit I think so yeah
0: I think so I think that's what makes it so fascinating for us yeah and we keep maybe seeing the theme pop up in, in to various degrees in various films we watch mm-hmm. yeah I agree yeah I, I otherwise we wouldn't
1: keep noticing it so yeah. much. it wouldn't be something we keep like collecting in the yeah. way that we do
0: yeah
1: yeah Um. so which film would you like to start with today I think starry eyes starry eyes yeah. okay
0: because I have a theory that in the perfection something gets resolved okay so it's good to finish with that which you don't think it does get resolved no. You
1: there's a resolution in starry eyes no interesting yeah um, okay I'm very excited to talk about this I I mean just want to start off mm. with you you told me to watch starry eyes this is all you I oh wouldn't have ever heard about it if it wasn't for you oh goodness, I watched cool. it in I used to have a I think I've mentioned this before I used to have a friend we worked in the same vintage shop and we used to just watch a movie every Saturday when we were working there mm-hmm. and it was often we watched martyrs there it was often like a gross mm-hmm. gross movie both these movies are super gross yeah like out of i mean i guess we're gonna like tackle more gross ones in the extremity episode but both these films are so disgusting yeah they're like not all the way through but there are parts that are just i i heard that people were saying that they were like vomiting watching the perfection Mm -hmm. and i'm and i've shown starry eyes to people and they've you know it's hard it's difficult Um, but I Nasty. think that's a really interesting thing that like this like deep like rotting grossness is kind of wrapped up in these like images of women that are supposed to be sort of ideal bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, as I ide- like i like vessels almost which I think is maybe mentioned in both films. Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, but I for the first thing I just wanted to know is I wanted to ask you. Why do I love Starry Eyes so much? Like what is it about Because you know, when you watch it, it's not like it's a super original I no. did plot like you know, it's not there's nothing in it that isn't necessarily in other horror films. There's a lot of kind mm-hmm. of tropes of like, you know, occult Hollywood, even you, you even described it as Rosemary's baby meets my holland drive. Mm-hmm. When you watch it it's not that it's a. it's not its originality. No. But there's something about it that's just different. What do you think it's it so is? It's so compelling. Yeah.
0: It is that contrast between women who uh, you know the the performers in these two films uh, by and large are very sort of attractive Mm -hmm. conventionally beautiful actors Mm -hmm. Uh, they're women who meet the kind of beauty standard so to have them first of all go through what they go through express their trauma in a physical way um, not only what's happening to their bodies but also inflicting essentially body horror mm-hmm. to themselves and other people where the the, the the flesh is depicted in, as you say, some of the most gross representations we've seen on screen and the extreme that it goes to and the process of kind of the, that decline down the kind of body horror spiral. Yeah. That's a compelling watch because we have that idealized beauty sitting almost side by side with, extreme body horror Mm -hmm. and there's something oddly fascinating about that yeah but i also think in starry eyes specifically as you say it's not the perfection really is original Mm. i've never seen a plot line like that before it's it's completely bonkers (laughs) but you're right this starry eyes on paper shouldn't be that extraordinary because we've seen that narrative before what i think is going on particularly with starry eyes is that It gives you the formula outright when there's a discussion around ambition Mm. and how it's even described as the darkest of human desires. And as soon as you have something delineated like that in a script, I think that it's so universal it will be so appealing and people watching it will find themselves identifying so much because we've all been there. Yeah. We've all been Sarah in Starry Eyes. I am. Yeah, you're um, literally, you're literally literally called Sarah. Sarah. (laughs)
1: Um, Okay, so before we go any further, I'm going to, I'm going to synopsize for us. Yeah. So Starry Eyes 2014. Mm-hmm. Um, two directors yeah. we discovered who you think wrote it as well. Yeah. Um, Kevin Kolsch and Dennis uh, Widemeyer or Widemeyer. Mm-hmm. I don't know which one. Mm-hmm. Widemeyer. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so. Sarah is, we have so many, we talk about so many films where there's a Sarah, by the way. I know it's just a common name, but it always make, it makes me excited. It's great. Um, Sarah is an unhappy, aspiring actress living in LA. She works at a cheesy fast food restaurant, has a circle of narcissistic friends, and a self-harm habit that consists of ripping out her hair. Her prospects begin to look up when she gets an audition for the lead role in a film entitled The Silver Scream, produced by the mysterious Astraeus Pictures. The audition goes badly until one of the producers catches her screaming and tearing her hair out in the bathroom and asks her to perform this act for them. As her dream of stardom approaches, Sarah is asked to sacrifice more and more of herself to Hollywood's secretive elite in return.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: It's a Faustian pact. Yes, it
0: is. Mm -hmm. This silver scream, you know, and the whole audition process. I mean, there's so many links with... There's uh, making clear references to the casting couch... Mm -hmm. Um, phenomenon in Hollywood where particularly female performers are expected to uh, provide sexual favors in return to getting the parts for the films that they're auditioning for. Sarah, as you said earlier, she's working at tater tots. In these like
1: horrible like like these like really like objectifying outfits like little crop tops and like leggings like really really tight leggings. And very, like, there's all these, yeah. like, songs they have to sing, but they're, like, it, it seems like they're singing to children, and then they're, like, just singing them to sleazy dudes. <laughs> like, it's just, oh, it's amazing.
0: Yeah, their outfits are, they're all meant to be wearing outfits that are almost, like, outside too small, yeah. so that it's very, very uh, suggestive, and, as you say, exploitative. That's their uniform. And... And in my in my mind, it's really interesting because we can see Sarah is a she has dreams beyond this place. She takes calls while she's working at this fast food joint for um, auditions for gigs and and parts that she's applying to. So we know that she clearly doesn't want to be in this tater tot place Mm. and who can blame her? Um, But it's just the fact that this restaurant represents something of a humdrum Existence, the kind of drudgery of everyday life where we have commitments that we have to meet, we have to pay our rent, we have to we have financial obligations, and people depend on us, let's say. Yeah. And also, kind of like the
1: idiocy of everyday life. I think yeah. that's the thing. She's not just different in her ambition. she's different in like she's maybe a bit more introverted than most people. She seems maybe more sensitive than most people. So, you know, it's just, it's also just that idea of maybe someone is like too clever to be
0: doing exactly. this. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Because she even says, like, when. There's a few points where she wants to quit her job and then her boss tries to persuade her to stay and and he tries to tell her like, you know, a million girls will want to apply to to work in a place like this. And she turns around and it's very stark and she says, I'm not a million other girls. Mm -hmm. She feels like she she has a calling above and beyond, as you say, the idiocy of everyday Mm -hmm. life, the drudgery, the sham, um, the exploitation that everyone is just taking for granted. Mm -hmm. And she doesn't want that. She wants something more for herself. So, when she's applying for the Silver Scream, great name. Uh, I know he gets disparaged by someone in the film. Who
1: is actually a great character. We
0: should come back to her. I know. Yeah. That character, at one point, she says, Oh, I didn't think you'd come to this party. She says, this is Sarah. And she said, you know, I, I thought you you were avoiding me. And Sarah's like, oh, why? No, not at all. And she's like, she's like yeah, because I stole your role. Mm. And she says it like that. like <laughs> She's called Erin. Erin.
1: Yeah. yeah. She's uh, amazing and horrible and just, yeah, she's just so
0: good. She is. She's a good character. Yeah. And I just think that um, The Silver Scream is a story about film itself. The title itself embodies that unique capacity of the film medium to express a primal desire. Um, and the pain that goes with that, there's something really painful that audiences are processing, some trauma, some subjective problem that audiences are processing via the film medium. Mm-hmm. And there's, it's something that they might not have really considered prior to watching the movie, but while they're engaging in that spectatorship experience, the film is an outlet for their primal scream. And it's all this bu- this beautiful, like, ritual of the cinema where we're... Actually, it's very cathartic. Mm-hmm. And we're we're screaming in pain. That's why when she goes to these auditions, she ends up performing her fit. Mm. And she screams. She's an amazing... I mean, Alex Esso. What a performer. I know. I love She's going to be
1: in... I thought... I think they're making, like, the second Shining book. You know, it's like a sequel. <gasps> yes. I think she's going to be... Um, and about the, the little boy De- when oh. he grows so she's going to be the Shelley Duvall character but like yeah in flashbacks incredible yeah which I think is going to be amazing
0: I think so she's going
1: to be one of those ones that gets really famous and then we're going to be like a little bit upset because we knew her fast. I
0: know yeah but she's amazing she is I'm a huge fan and yeah. she's really mm-hmm. Um. and she's so fearless and um, the ripping out of the hair thing
1: oh the first time I watched that I almost fell off my chair like trying to get away fast enough it was
0: so disgusting It's disgusting yeah what do you think that is like what does that represent i was trying to get put my finger on it because to me it just looks i mean i know that it is a real thing that people do that yeah and and people who are distressed sometimes it has been known they they may like rip out bits of their like eyelashes or eyebrows or you know hair from their head Mm -hmm. um it has a name which is very long i don't i want to attempt to say it okay um well it's self-harm
1: i mean like it's like part of that bracket um, I'm not actually really sure what it kind of symbolizes uh, cinematically. Mm-hmm. Not all films have to be like you know a great representation of reality, but in that those moments, I just thought it's such a great representation of self harm, absolutely. Um, as a self harmer, yeah, you know, like yeah. let's. I really like being really honest on this podcast because yeah. I feel like some of our listeners probably go through the same thing. Absolutely. Um, but absolutely. it's definitely when I when I do it, and I I actually have like tried to give up in the last year or so, so it's been a while. But when I do it, it tends to be like a um i'm trying to think like a really efficient act actually Mm. it like takes like really uncontrollable really messy feelings and just i don't know something about it just the second i'm done i've got like a problem to solve i have some blood to clean up i have a plaster Mm. to get i have you know all of and just like i just feel like elated with this kind of sense of like purpose and just i saw i feel like almost like motherly to myself or like I'm so just like I feel really capable suddenly and anything and when I felt kind of ashamed or incapable or something horrible beforehand I just feel I just feel great and like I can get on with stuff afterwards and that's really just the only way I can describe it just and I've also thought like you know for a long time I've kind of wanted to not tell anyone or you know because like it makes other people really upset yeah but I just think when it comes to all of the ways that you can Like, I think everyone feels those feelings. Has those feelings. And I'm just the only one that's got sort of physical evidence of having felt it, like, this time last month or six months ago or Mm -hmm. whatever. I just... And I think... I don't know. So I'm exactly the same as everyone else. And and maybe potentially a little bit less selfish because I'm not taking it out in, like, drinking or drugs or, like, you know, various other behaviours. Everyone self-harms. Yeah, I think everyone does. You know, everyone Mm -hmm. has, like, these feelings that are unbearable. I don't think that's just for you know people with mental illness or people who are going through an unhappy time i think everyone occasionally has a feeling and the feeling is unbearable whatever's unbearable to you whether it's anxiety whether it's shame whether it's embarrassment whatever it is so i guess yeah it just seems that she keeps like hitting and
0: the unbearable to her is having failed i think that's so insightful Mm -hmm. and i think that is so true and actually it is just a manifestation of someone trying to come To terms somehow with what they're feeling on the inside, yeah, and trying to have some physical manifestation of it as a coping mechanism for the unbearable, Mm -hmm. as you just said, yeah, it's almost like she's having a panic attack, it is like that, yeah, yeah. I mean, I say I only recognize that as a panic sufferer myself, Mm -hmm. and I know what that's like when the anxiety starts to accelerate, and you don't know how you know you don't know where that's going. It's so there's so much fear wrapped up in that, and there's so much of the unknown, mm-hmm. and for her to rip out her hair, uh, yeah, absolutely, it translates to some desperate um, attempt to physicalize that unbearable anxiety. Yeah,
1: actually, I know that you're going to come back to this, but you know, we we talked just before we started recording about the phrase "I'm dying," which appears <sighs> in both of these films, and there's something a little bit reassuring about the phrase, I'm dying, because, um, you know, like, I've said it, like, when I've had, like, terrible period pains or something, but there is really something, like, quite reassuring about the externalization of, like, massive amounts of pain, uh-huh. or, you know, like, bodily suffering, that is so inexpressible about, sort of, pain that's invisible, pain that you can't see, like, a panic attack, uh-huh. or, like, really deep, deep shame, or, you know, just whatever those kind of, those really strange illogical feelings are. Mm. I think, I'm dying is for like, quite a it's like, yeah, it's a relief that you can express yeah. that.
0: It's an honest statement of fact, like yeah. because we're all dying. Yeah. So much of life from a psychoanalytic point of view is avoiding mortality. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's too painful and too scary to think about. So we distract ourselves with other things, usually psychodramas mm-hmm. and you know, neurotic behaviors. Yeah. So actually to hear characters in a movie say, I'm dying. It's actually quite radical. Just mm-hmm. a radical statement of bravery there for me. Yeah, and that's why body horror films are actually some of the best language available to us to actually approach something like that. You know, yeah. um, the expression of trauma through the death drive. Uh, examples of um, wounds and and flesh, uh, you know, decaying and. Uh, and expressions of of, of how, how the subject is relating to their own death. Mm-hmm. yeah
1: so I mean, that's interesting you say the death drive because in a way, mm-hmm. I mean, maybe this is what the death drive is. I know you've explained it to me before, but in a way, Alex is so um, sorry, not Alex Sarah. yeah, Alex Esso, Sarah Alex Esso, yeah is so much more alive than her friends, you know, because they really I mean they are like the when you say distracting each other with psychodramas, like that, that's all they are. they're just a sort of like cliquey bitchy set of friends that are you know like gossipy and yeah. you, you know like not they're just not they're not very nice but that's kind of beside the point they're also kind of like frivolous you know with their like drinking and their drugs and their like banjos and their film cameras and you know just it's all just kind of it's all distractions mm-hmm. and even she there's even a the scene where they all take drugs together yeah. and her experience is somehow like separate from their experience like they seem to be having this sort of collective drug experience and it kind of instead of you know, instead of sort of distracting her, it sets her on this path and makes her go and take this
0: this sort of fatal step. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> There's some kind of like vague statement made about millennials struggling to make meaning out of their life or something like mm-hmm. that, that's that sort of like implied. And so she's of that generation as well. And she, she feels uh, the pain from that. She's observing these people. They're like kind of a horde of zombies, Mm -hmm. all doing the same things, all kind of expressing the same banal desires, but she feels more alive. She feels more activated by a very strong desire, a very strong ambition Mm -hmm. to perfect something, to achieve something much higher than what these people are doing. So when she goes on this path of various auditions with the Estrellas Film Production Company, When she gets that meeting with the producer, who is suggesting to her that, you know, she needs to uh, give, you know, provide sexual favors in return for this role. Initially, she refuses, but you're right. It's actually after that collective drug experience with Mm -hmm. the friends, she changes her mind. She decides then that she will perform the sex act.
1: It is almost like she's being poisoned from that point on. which Yeah. Um, exactly. Also, there's something about both of these films where, like, sex is kind of... Ele- like, well, rape of women, actually. Mm-hmm. It's, like, elevated to this sort of, like, mystical cult-like activity. And it's maybe a little bit of a comment on female sexuality being, you know, veiled in mysticism anyway. Especially because, like, the people that are doing it are, like, of an, of a, an older generation. Yeah. In both films.
0: In both films. Yeah. Yeah, and where women's sexuality is fetishized Mm -hmm. as if it's a portal to something greater yeah but at the same time it's completely laced with trauma the subject then carrying on this experience of feeling poisoned Mm -hmm. violated and completely traumatized
1: yeah and it's interesting to note that the trauma gets worse as time progresses not better exactly and i've i think that's just a really good even if they weren't specifically thinking of of what would happen in hollywood a couple of years later Mm. like that's i think that's something we've seen with a lot of victims that you see with a lot of time things get worse and worse and worse like for years and years and years absolutely rather than just
0: you know happening and then healing yeah that's the thing about trauma is that you know it's the damage to the mind that occurs you know as a result of the distressing event but it's often the result of overwhelming amount of stress that exceeds the person's ability to cope. Mm-hmm. Every person's capacity to cope differs. Yeah, Some people might have gone through uh, a war zone as a child and they might have come up with coping strategies that sets up boundaries for them and that they won't really feel the effects of trauma the way that another person might. Yeah. It has to do with the one's inability to integrate the emotions involved with that experience. It suggests that a, a long time might have passed where we we block out what happened to us. Mm-hmm. We don't feel, we haven't processed it. It's as if it didn't happen to us. There's a denial. Yeah. That's what interests me about the Sarah character in Starry Eyes because we don't really know her backstory. Mm-hmm. All we know. We know she
1: doesn't have parents, though. She doesn't exactly. Say that. Yeah.
0: Exactly. That's the only time. That's the only hint given that, you know, that she doesn't have a family. Yeah. That's you know that leaves open a big gap for speculation about what happened to her you know a lot of people end up going to LA searching for you know Mm -hmm. their like it's quite like the neon
1: demon she doesn't have any family either does she
0: exactly yeah. so we can assume things like maybe there had been abuse maybe there had been a- abandonment it's a trauma that's not spoken about so, mm-hmm. so now we know that it's an unconscious trauma it's pretty clear that whoever's involved in this Australia's, uh production company are they like a coven of witches or
1: they're like, are yeah, they some kind of like elite
0: organisation yeah. even
1: like during the sex act like you know some people come out of like the shadows in yeah. like weird costumes and it's like yeah it's already culting but they all like there's the bit right at the end when they're all like in this sort of procession, they're all like old people in like fabulous jewels. Yes. So it's just like, it's just the elite. Generally. It's the elite. So yeah. they're
0: just very moneyed people, very privileged people. Yeah. Performing a ritual after Sarah has gone on a killing spree, it's pretty it's disgusting. Yeah.
1: And also, like, she's disgusting at that point because her body is like transformed into this like rotting shell and oh, all her hair's fallen out and she's just like covered in like sores. It's really disgusting. She's puking
0: out maggots. She's puking out
1: maggots. Yeah. And it's sort of like it's kind of treated almost like um almost it's almost like a date rape or something where like the like there's all of these promises made beforehand, then it seems like they've just left her. Like you know, they don't contact her for a while, she can't get through to anyone and a sort of moment where you fear that it's
0: all for nothing. By the time we get to the ritual scene where she appears to be like in plastic, mm-hmm. buried uh, somewhere on the in the Hollywood Hills. Yeah. And these rich people are gathered around and they're chanting something. And we see the inside of, I guess, her coffin or wherever, whatever, wherever she is, whatever she's buried in. And she's emerging. Mm-hmm. And in the trailer, that scene of her kind of coming out of the plastic, clawing her way out, is accompanied with the sentence, Sarah, if you don't fully let yourself go... How are you going to transform into something else? Mm -hmm. And that always stayed with me because that's the advice she was given when she was told to have the fit Mm -hmm. in front of, you know, in front of the people for her audition. And now she has fully let her self. You know, I, I, I her identity as Sarah go. It's amazing to me. So she's fully now transformed into something else, and still very much rooted in her trauma. It's almost as if she's taken the vow of psychopathy. Mm-hmm. No- yeah, no one escapes. No one escapes. Yeah, no one escapes. And She's fully now committed to the cause of very much being the vessel for this group of elites. You know, desires.
1: Mm-hmm. In a way, they're kind of both. I mean, I know we said body horror, but they're also both like. Um... Like Rape revenge mm-hmm. movies, apart from she avenges the wrong people, it's yeah, so that's what, and I guess that's what maybe what makes it a horror movie in the end. Hmm. Should we move on?
0: Yeah, The Perfection. The Perfection. Okay,
1: so if you haven't seen The Perfection, please go and watch it because there's no way of talking about it without spoiling it. No. It's full of twists and turns, and usually I would say it doesn't matter. Like, I, mm-hmm. I read spoilers for things all the time, it doesn't usually stop my enjoyment of a film, but this film. It's, you've, got to, you've got to be surprised by it, I yeah. think. So if you haven't yet seen The Perfection, stop listening now.
0: Go to Netflix and come back. Go
1: to Netflix, we'll <laughs> see you in a couple of hours. Okay, I'm going to synopsize. The Perfection 2019, Yeah. Richard Shepherd. Well done Richard, we loved it. <laughs> um, Charlotte is a former cello prodigy whose career was cut short by her mother's terminal illness. After her mother dies, she seeks out her former teachers and their new star Lizzie in Shanghai. Charlotte and Lizzie immediately spark chemistry, performing together, going clubbing, and later having sex. The next day, Lizzie invites Charlotte to come travelling with her around rural China. But on the way, things go horribly awry for Lizzie, and Charlotte is revealed to be not as she seems. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that's just the first of many twists throughout
0: this film. Oh my gosh. So original. So I don't know any other film like this. I think
1: that's because most, like most writers and directors, like curb themselves, because, uh, you know, against like things that seem totally bonkers. And maybe that's a mistake because this is totally bonkers, but it's actually really like meaningful and. You know, and and I don't know. It's like it's actually very lovely. It's quite romantic yeah. as a film. Everyone's really good in it.
0: Everyone's good,
1: especially Alison Williams, yeah. who we've said is our favorite horror movie actress yeah. of the of the time. Mm-hmm. She's incredible. I love I loved her in Get Out. I think she's like I mean I, obviously everything about Get Out is amazing, but I think that she's a little bit like, undervalued as, you know because she's like she's so great in it. You know I love her in Girls. You know she's the most insufferable, but she's my favorite. Me too. Yeah. She's my
0: favourite in Girls Definitely.
1: As well. I want to call my daughter Marnie. Not necessarily Aww. just because of that, but Hitchcock. because of Hitchcock. But still, <laughs> it makes it good that she's,
0: she's also yeah. Marnie. And I know that this film has divided a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, there's people who say that it doesn't represent friendships in a very good way. I've read that as a woman of colour, you know, Logan Browning's character, uh, Lizzie, because she is made she's kind of manipulated or tricked into chopping off her own hand. Mm-hmm. Spoiler one. Spoiler one. <laughs> the, and then and then told that actually it was always for her own good Yeah. to make her realize something that this is extremely problematic.
1: Well, I mean <laughs> yeah problematic is a funny word in this film like there's so much of it that's problematic, Everything is problematic. that's like sometimes yeah. what a horror movie is i think it's just sort of like really embracing the problematic mm-hmm. I, I i mean i think and then i think also there's just i mean i think it's always a bit sensitive when a male director directs something about like sexual assault yeah. women which spoiler too is you know this film this is what this film is about um and I think that was like one of the criticisms. As when it comes to the, I mean, I'm not necessarily qualified to comment on the women of color thing, but I think just because they're sort of in this like really sort of rarefied world that is like outside the normal world, I feel like maybe it kind of they they've sort of been so sheltered from society that there's something about them where they're like everyone's kind of e- like equal as victims. Yeah. In this in this strange like school where like where you're like literally shut up, you can't like you can't have you're in a bubble bubble and you can't get over like the walls you can't escape the garden you can't get out through the front you have to stay there so i think you know because they have they yeah they all belong to this like academy out in the countryside in like connecticut or somewhere boston boston yeah and yeah and it's yeah it so there's something about it where it's like they're all so separated from society that i feel like society's general like hierarchies or problems don't don't apply, don't apply because they, it's got this like weird systematic problems yeah. and traumas and of its own
0: absolutely mm. that's exactly right the school is even called back off yes <laughs> yeah that's true it is you know i mean it's pronounced back off that's exactly what these schoolmasters have done yeah they've they've made sure that the the system of, of support for the young musicians enrolled at this academy, which is obviously like a boarding school as well. They they yeah. live there.
1: Yeah, I mean they and they also they don't seem to see their parents. No, like so it's like taking just completely cutting people away from like their. Roots Everyone backed their family. off from them. Yeah, and like it's that just a new family like in this little cell.
0: Yeah, the normal race relation realities just don't apply here. The young women who enroll in this boarding school, they are now very much a part of a unique system where their background, their their ethnicity, those things just kind of get cancelled out Mm -hmm. and what equalizes them all at the same level is their gift for music Mm -hmm. and their drive to achieve perfection Mm -hmm. through their love of music. That's being exploited, it's being fetishized, they're being violated. So I agree, um, and I hope no one cancels me for saying this. But I mean, also you know, I just... <laughs> we may
1: have put it like completely wrong. So do write in if you if you disagree with us. I love
0: yeah, we we love to exchange views on this. So mm-hmm. if you have a, a contrary view to what we're saying, we're very open to hearing yeah. alternative exp- explanations. Mm-hmm. I would actually go one step further and say that Lizzie and Charlotte, they're just the same person it's just, what we're seeing is their interior life is maybe trying to come to terms with trauma mm-hmm. through some kind of oh, self-reflection i don't i don't actually believe that they're real people. I think it's a psychological landscape, the whole thing.
1: That's so interesting.
0: Charlotte was a, a, a very promising musician. She had to stop playing music to look after her mum for 10 years, so she effectively walked away from that extraordinary talent. And we know that she also suffered psychological pain yes, during that there's time. all these
1: kind of flashbacks of
0: electroshock therapy
1: and yeah. self-harming, actually, or like yeah. suicide attempts. Suicide attempts, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: When she goes to Shanghai, obviously looking to target Lizzie for some reason. Mm -hmm. Initially, we don't know why. Uh, We don't even know that she's like necessarily trying to single her out or anything. Mm -hmm. We we just think she's trying to reconnect with her old school. When they go on their road trip in China, Lizzie is absolutely sure that she's being poisoned or that she's maybe caught a disease or something. Yeah, there's
1: like there's sort of like hints that there's a disease you know in rural China somewhere that's spreading. It's sort of almost like at first you think maybe it's going to be like a plague horror mm. or something like an infection horror. Yeah. And it's it's not at all. No. But yeah, that's kind of, it's, that's been embedded in
0: her head. But then we quickly realised that the entire time she had, is being sick and is throwing up and everything, she's actually hallucinating. And she's being told also by Charlotte... That there are bugs in her vomit mm-hmm. and there's bugs crawling around under her skin. We keep hearing this line It's inside you. Yeah, it's inside you and that plays on various levels because we later find out that that at this academy Young girls who are enrolled and they're staying in this boarding school. They're actually being systematically raped Yeah, so that makes me think something is inside you as in the violation of the of the rape
1: mm-hmm.
0: but also it's inside you, i.e., there's a trauma yeah. that's coming out. It's manifesting outwardly, and it's it's coming out and it's bugging you. Mm-hmm. There's some kind of death element connected to all of this. This is actually Charlotte trying to piece herself back together, confronting her her severed parts, the parts that had that she's had to cut off, mm-hmm. the the parts that have been forcibly removed from her, and the perfection is a story of a person piecing herself back together to achieve her her true potential, which is music. Mm -hmm. And to me, this is very much embodied in the final shot of the film, because both Charlotte and Lizzie are both missing arms. arms. amputees. They're both amputees at this point, but they're coming together and playing the cello using their functional arms, Mm -hmm. their functional limbs. They're pieced back together and they're performing for their abuser. Mm-hmm. They've now maimed and tortured, and he's cast to sit there and watch. So it's a you perfect. Can't watch like- because he's got no eyes. Oh yeah, that's true. You can only hear. <laughs> yeah, you can't
1: watch because he- oh, that's disgusting. It's so disgusting. Yeah, it's like it was. Yeah, it was almost finished me off. That that it was for like the last frame of a film to be that disgusting. It's quite unusual, you know. You usually get a little bit of respite, but um. That's really interesting. I'm also really, I was really interested in the difference the characters, the different ways the characters dressed. Um, so Logan Browning, who's Lizzie, has the most interesting way of dressing and it's almost as if, like, I feel like almost her way of dressing is like, is some form of her trauma trying to get out of her or some, I don't know, it's like, it's, it's, cause something's at odds with the way she dresses because Charlotte's got a very, you know, she's, got, she's actually got quite a dowdy appearance, and it's very much what you would expect of someone that had sort of, you know, dedicated their life first to the cello and then to looking after a sick mother. But Lizzie, who, you know, has had much longer, it's a much longer time of dedicating her life to something, there's something about her where she's kind of like, she's like a bit of her hair shaved on one side, like she wears like these like little kilts and big boots, and, mm-hmm. and, you know, there's something about her which is, I wasn't really sure what to make of it, but there's something about her that's like it's like a little bit of a rebellion or a little bit at odds with with the the, the work that she does. It's really it's and the really look of the strange. school and the look of the school as well. There's like there's some way in which that she's kind of achieved a little like a little window of freedom and that's the way that she's done it I think I love the way she dresses Me throughout too. It's amazing. it's really amazing yeah It's uh, and it just I just kept thinking why why is she dressed like that why is she dressed like that it didn't make any why did they let her dress like that or like I don't know maybe it's something about your her abusers just didn't consider it a you know an important thing but it seems to be it, I feel like it's so important for her character the way that she dresses and the way that she looks yeah it's so because it's like a little bit it's like a little bit fragmented it's
0: a little I don't know that's why it, I think that's why it works in the theory that this is all an internal landscape she's a bit of a punk yeah she is she's kind of a badass when she reconnect you know when she meets Charlotte yeah when she gets ill you know that's when her life force starts to dwindle and we see her getting sicker and sicker and sicker she loses her coolness and she's not suddenly very vulnerable mm. it's like she's in a crisis because when they go out dancing and they're drinking when they wake up in the morning in the hotel room and Charlotte says, you know, the pharmacy is open. Yeah. She presents these pills, which she says are ibuprofen, and she suggests that Lizzie take them with the Chinese the little vodka. Mini of
1: vodka. Yeah,
0: yeah. And and Lizzie says, hair of the dog,
1: mm-hmm.
0: which is this old thing about if you want to get over your hangover, you just drink the drink you drank last night, and that'll help. Which makes me think that the whole film is hair of the dog mm-hmm. because if you want to get over your trauma you get exposed to more trauma. Mm-hmm. You gotta face it. You gotta you gotta drink the thing that make you sick made you sick. Mm-hmm. And then you can confront it, not deny it or push it back or internalize it in some patholo- pathological way. You gotta just take the shot. Yeah, you go right, that's pretty really good. You know? Yeah. So hair of the dog, I feel like that's the whole if if we accept that as the the, the, the most trustworthy, you know, therapeutic path that takes a lot of bravery mm-hmm. and you got to do some crazy stuff.
1: <laughs> yeah, it is. It is crazy to drink more of what it like, maybe it does work. Yeah.
0: You know? Yeah, that's true. And like, and, and to me, it just, there's so much there that makes me think they're the same person. They, they have are. the same tattoo.
1: Yeah, they have the same tattoo. they like, and also just the way that they do bond, the way that there's like instant attraction, instant magnetism, you know, that they fall in love like that. You know, and it doesn't seem weird. Like it's it's really yeah. You're right. It's like completely. I think it must be, it must be Lizzie
0: who summons up Charlotte. When they first meet each other in Shanghai, they're in this beautiful concert hall, mm-hmm. and they're invited to play cello together. Yeah. When they start playing, like what are the odds? They've never rehearsed this piece, and they nail it. Yeah. It's a beautiful montage of them going out dancing, and it keeps coming back to them performing and kind of splicing back and forth. So from their first kiss to going clubbing, dancing, snogging, and then going back to the hotel room and having sex. And mm-hmm. actually, the sex scene is pretty... It's pretty, like, risque. Yeah, it totally is. It's really sexy. It's, it's a pretty, really sexy It's very film. sexy. Yeah. It's very sexy. Just as the piece is ending, uh, we hear Charlotte climaxing. Mm. So to me, that is the ultimate life... Their life force yeah. is their music. It's their... The, the, the sublimated drive of the erotic is what they've poured into their work their beautiful work mm-hmm. that is so autonomous nobody else can come and corrupt that and that's the beautiful vitality that this school is trying to co-opt yeah right mm-hmm. and there's a very fine line between that and their sexuality which this which this school also exploits There's something there about everything that happens to victims of of abuse and trauma, where sometimes there can be like Stockholm syndrome. They don't, you know, they might want to protect or defend their abuser. They don't want to come to terms with what's happened to them. It's too painful to admit. Mm -hmm. So they forget things. And so when Charlotte effectively tricks Lizzie into chopping off her own hand, Mm -hmm. what she's really doing there is she's, She's taking away the one thing that this school can exploit and trying to make her see that actually she's been gaslighted all these years. She's, um, she's of no other use to these people. But there's no other way that would have convinced her of that. Mm-hmm. Her singular talent had to be compromised for her to realize the abuse she suffered. But the good news is that she can now reconnect with her the other part of herself to play that music again the music is not lost forever it can come back when the severed parts of herself can reunify Mm -hmm. you know i think that's so hopeful yeah
1: it's it is amazing you're right it is like it is sort of the the anti-starry eyes in a way definitely yeah i think that speech she makes to her is so beautiful that you see at the end which you don't really get until the end when it flashes back to that moment she says you know they won't be there for you now but i will i will always be and it's really lovely. And if it, it is, is the same person, then that's like really inspiring
0: and different parts amazing. of the same person. Yeah. You're, you're never alone. Mm-hmm. You know, you might have suffered this terrible trauma, but there's this, there's still despite everything, there's still this part of you that's always there for you Won't and won't let you down. That part of you will do anything to keep you going. You know, mm-hmm. it's so beautiful. It gives me goosebumps even when I think about it. Yeah, it is.
1: It's such an amazing film. I just, I mean, yeah. I love love it when just the completely ridiculous is actually just, like, the completely truthful. It's just, it's amazing. There's nothing like that. I'm really surprised. Maybe it's the best film in 2019. It's on my list. Yeah. It's on
0: my list of best films for this year. Yeah. Yeah. So I
1: don't usually like doing that, but it, that's, um, yeah, it was incredible. It is, it really is. That's so funny because I, I mean, it's interesting because it does, I think watching these films, it does make you kind of think about the standards that you inflict upon yourself a lot because I, you know, I'm around this time of year, September, I'm thinking, you know, I, it's a really important time of year for me. I like sort of reaffirm what I'm look, you know, what I want to achieve and I like work really hard. I buy stationary. you know, I like treat it like back to school. And I was, the, and my back to school film is um, Legally Blonde oh cool <laughs> that's what I watch when I need motivation There's that bit where she's like walking storming out that party in the playboy bunny girl outfit and she goes I'll show you how valuable Elle Woods can be and I I okay, know I just gave myself goosebumps because I love that moment so much of this just like total self-belief and I was really and I was thinking as I was watching Starry Eyes this morning I was thinking you know maybe this this is my back to school film but actually like the I don't know, the way of, you know, maybe accepting yourself as imperfect and fragmented is really more, much more the path to success. You know, and maybe that's why Legally Bond is so great
0: because she is so, like, imperfect and fragmented, yeah. but she's still, and just to get it done. The drive to achieve uh, or, or attain perfection mm-hmm. itself is beautiful.
1: Yeah, and actually, Lizzie says it in the beginning of the film. She says, you know, I can never leave here. But she also says, it's the work, the work, which is actually like, that's that's actually what you're supposed to really, really attain in life is, like, just joy in the work as opposed to joy in the perfection or joy in the end result. Like, that's, like, the most Buddhist, the most, like... Yeah. You know, she's actually, she's already got it, you know, right from the beginning of the film. She already knows what's important. It's just that she's kind of mixed up, you know, the source of that. She thinks it's, like, exterior and it's actually interior. But that's kind of... That is the point of these films. Like, for... For Sarah and Starry Eyes, it's not actually the work. Mm-hmm. It's the it's her face on a poster, the poster in it's... a in a lobby, the lobby in a movie theater. Her name in a marquee. Her name in a marquee. Whereas for you know for these two or one girl, um, it's the
0: work. It's the work. Yeah, the work is beautiful. The work
1: is really beautiful, and the work is perfect. Just yeah. The pro that process is it's working.
0: It's already perfect. Passion for the music is already there. No one can take it away from them. Mm-hmm. That's why this school is so fucked up because. They keep repeating this mantra, you know. You, um, you know what you've got to do. You know what's expected of you. Um, if you, you, have to keep proving yourself, and if you don't, then you'll be raped. Mm-hmm. So actually, it's completely phony. It's just setting people up to fail, yeah. And it's tricking people and exploiting people and raping people. So it's, you know, that that's a lie. The true uh, work is. The desire to rehabilitate those parts of ourselves that have been traumatized by people who never had our best interest at heart, Mm -hmm. where there was no duty of care. We do the work to heal ourselves and to lift ourselves out of trauma. Even if we accept that it's not actually an internal landscape, you know, at face value it's two different autonomous, subjective people, it's a great friendship film. Even externally, they come together and they help each other. Yeah. They exact revenge on their perpetrator, and they reconnect with their music. They heal parts of themselves through their friendship. It's a, it's literally the photographic reverse of Starry Eyes because in Starry Eyes she's completely isolated from she her friends. She also says,
1: "I don't have any friends." When she stabs that last one, the guy who's ma- trying to you know make a film with her. She's like, you're not my friend because I don't have any friends. Exactly. And it's, yeah, this is definitely the complete opposite of that film. It is. Also, I mean, that idea of, like, work versus sexuality, I think that's really interesting about sort of society's confusion about what actually is women's work. Yeah. And, you know, like, this is fun about people that refuse to, like, let women's sexuality be, like, a private thing to them. Mm. Like, it's just, you know, sexuality, like, you can't be a perfect woman without being both like sexually attractive and giving of your sexuality Mm -hmm. and i guess that that's something that society's been confused about for hundreds and hundreds of years where it's like that's actually not the work that we're here to do
0: like not at all
1: we can do so many other things yeah also why do you think there's two bald women because at the end of staria she's got no hair and then it's also because she's um allison williams had her hair shaved off for that electroshock therapy and she does a bit but she sort of takes her wig off it's like, there's something about hair in both of these films that's really yeah. that's really important, and I don't know what, what it is. What do you
0: think it is? Because, but you're right, there's something about hair, and I wonder whether it's the removal of the hair has something to do with a kind of, almost like a purification of something. Also,
1: it is like a desexualizing thing. It is. And maybe that's the thing. Like, they've both, like, they've both sort of performed this, like, sexual job you know, both Alison Williams in... Both um, Charlotte and Sarah yeah. have sort of performed that so it's no longer necessary, so the hair goes. Yeah. You know, or, like, or they're reclaiming their, like, a right to sort of, uh, like, privacy in when it comes to sexuality. Their right of, like, you know, their control over their sexuality. Their autonomy. Their autonomy.
0: The presence of the hair denotes some kind of... The threat of another transactional, yeah. you know, sexual relationship, whereas the removal of it signifies... Um, rising above that somehow whether mm-hmm. it's in a very glamorous way in Starry Eyes where she now is wearing a wig or in The Perfection where there's a lot of pain attached to the baldness in, yeah. in, in terms of her being institutionalised mm-hmm. um, and having, forcibly being shaved
1: This has been such a great chat I know, this has been really good considering neither of us really thought we had anything when it started, <laughs> I'm very glad Okay, so what are our usual things? Um, social media Follow us on social media. We're on Instagram, Projections Podcast. We're on Twitter, Projections Pod. Yeah. Um, Our website, Mm -hmm. www.projectionspodcast.com. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, which is very useful for us. You can leave us reviews.
0: Yeah, rate and review us on there. We love to hear from you. Please
1: do. Also, just use your mouth and voice box and tell people about yes. us that's just spread as good. the word Please spread the word we're also on spotify yeah um and then also if you are enjoying the work we do and you'd like to support us doing more we do have a donate button on our website you can do one-off donations you don't have to do monthly anything just it just helps us spend the time yeah watching
0: films researching them it helps us editing. invest in better equipment yeah. and uh program more for you in the future so yeah yeah show us some love
1: please do show <laughs> us some love. okay we'll see you next time bye, bye.